0: Well, believe it or not, it's the month of March, so it's time for another from our theme. February short like that, you know, it just flies right on by. And uh, this morning our lesson is going to be Hope When Tempted and Tried. We have a song, Tempted and Tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. I think one of the reasons we resonate with that song is because we feel that way. We're tempted and tried and going through these difficulties and hardships and Satan is coming after us and and the trials that we face in in life. And we're we're looking for hope and we're looking for answers and we uh, look ahead to those kinds of things. And God does provide us uh, answers and solutions to those kinds of questions and um, I think it's important then that we we talk about how God gives us hope uh, during temptations and during trials uh, as was just read for us from first Corinthians 10 verses 12 and 13 uh, this text I think is a very important text that does give us Hope for those kinds of circumstances. I would uh, r- remind you that in this passage you'll read uh, no temptation has has come upon you except what is common to humanity and then uh, will allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able that the word under that is the same word that's used for trials uh, temptation and trials. Very interesting is the same Greek word and so uh, in fact a couple translations read this as no trial has overtaken you except common that you would be then tried beyond which you are able. The point that I want to make before we get into talking about the lesson is that the point that the apostle Paul makes is applicable to both scenarios and that I would suggest to you that during temptations you are in a trial and during trials there are all kinds of temptations it's simply the other side of the same coin and why the scriptures I think use that word to refer to both ideas both are a testing both are a difficulty both are a challenge now before Before we can really dive into this reading here in verses uh, 12 and 13 uh, that is given to us, it's important to get some of the context of what the Apostle Paul is setting up. That's always important, especially when you are diving into a sentence or a verse or two, that we always pull back in our studies and look at what was the original context by which the author uh, is speaking. But that's also especially true when you look at verse 12 and the very first word is so or therefore, and that really tells you, you need to know what was going on in front of that before you get too far into what is, being told to us. And as you scan your eyes back in First Corinthians chapter 10... In the first five verses, you will notice that what this begins with is simply a, a warning text that Paul begins to write to them and he describes to them what had happened to Israel while they were in the wilderness. And he speaks of the blessings that they enjoyed in verse one and verse two, verses three and four also speaks to even further blessings of the spiritual food and spiritual drink that they enjoyed Israel. Israel was able to enjoy all kinds of blessings and advantages in their walk with God while they were in the wilderness. But if you will notice, verse five says that God was not pleased with most of them as they were struck down in the wilderness. And he brings his first big point in verse six. Now, these things took place as an example for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. So he's putting forward an observation. Israel failed in the wilderness, even though they had all kinds of blessings. And he's trying to relate it to our walk with God. Notice he'll say that spiritual rock was Christ. So he's trying to connect to us that they had significant privilege and advantages. However... In spite of that, they fell, and this was written for us in verse 6, so that we would not be like them in desiring evil. He continues in verses 7 through 10, and he starts reminding them about some of the sins of Israel. For example, in verse 7, he warns them about being idolaters and reminds them of what happened back at Sinai with the golden calf incident. Verse 8, he reminds them of sexual morality that was committed. Verse 9... Putting Christ to the test. Verse ten, complaining and grumbling. He begins listing the sins that Israel fell into, and then notice his point again in verse eleven. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages have come. A very important statement there. So, separate side sermon, I won't give it, but verse 11, really important. Notice he says, it's not simply the things of Israel is just there for an example. Sometimes the Old Testament's portrayed that way. Well, these are examples and don't be like them. Notice he also says, it's for our instruction. The Old Testament is there to teach us. It is very important lessons for us. What they did is an example and is to teach us then some very important things, in fact, on whom the end of the ages has come. That sets up what he now wants to give as this warning now in verse 12. So whoever thinks he stands, verse 12, must be careful not to fall. Big warning that he gives right out of the gate. If you think you stand, watch out. Be careful. Beware that you may be actually falling one of the things that he's starting off as his warning is just to simply note to us is that there is an increased chance of spiritual failure after spiritual success you can imagine how that's true with Israel this huge success of the plagues and the exodus and coming out of Egypt and look at what Moses did to our adversaries and our opponents and we've come to Mount Sinai and you can just imagine the thrill of what that would have been like to have experienced those miracles and walk through the, the red sea and watch your enemies wash out behind you and yet no sooner just a couple of days after that has happened they're now turning to idolatry they begin to complain they want to stone Moses and go back to Egypt they all of a sudden start falling apart and here is this warning watch out that there can be spiritual failure after spiritual success and one of the things that I think is helpful in our journey of thinking about that is to just simply remind ourselves that every day we are surrounded by temptations. I think in thinking about this, this helps us not get too high on our spiritual success is that every single day we are constantly faced With all kinds of temptations, temptations that we may not even realize are right before us. I'll I'll use some of the things that we have been talking about in the month of February as reminders uh, of some of the temptations that we experience every day. Like we are tempted every day to be selfish, that we're tempted every day to not be truthful or honest, that we are tempted every day to be angry and to express our anger in sinful ways. We are tempted every day to say words that do not build up, that are not helpful for the moment, that do not give grace to the ears. We we, we are tempted in all kinds of things like that on a daily basis. And those are probably areas that are not the most obvious to us that we think about as monumental temptations that sit before us in, in an everyday way. And yet they sit there. And I think it's important to see that we are constantly surrounded by these kinds of pitfalls. If we were to use the context of the temptations that surround us, we can use the warnings that he just gave here in chapter 10, that we are tempted to complain. That's part of what was just listed As is Israel complained in the wilderness. We are tempted to put our desires and our comforts ahead of desiring God, which is, also, what he observes there were tempted to sexual immorality and sexual sin, a point that he makes here in chapter 10. What you see him doing as he describes the failures and sins of Israel is just to point out to them is that there were temptations at every turn. There were difficulties everywhere that was before them and and in their success of coming out of Egypt and coming through the Red Sea, they quickly failed to such a degree that it says there in verse five, God was not pleased with them and they were struck down in the wilderness. And so he begins by saying, so if you think you stand, be careful, watch out. The the devil doesn't give up. Success today doesn't mean that he's just going to leave you alone and you are now going to forever be successful. Even on a given sin that you were successful in that moment doesn't mean that the devil is not going to try again and again and again. Watch out. Be careful. And I want us then to think about if we are going to experience These kinds of temptations that we are surrounded by them, and here is the Apostle Paul giving these illustrations, these examples by which we are to be instructed of Israel's failure. Well, how are we supposed to have hope when we are tempted and tried? You just spent 12 verses just laying out. Watch out. Look at them. They blew it. They fell in the wilderness. They had all the privileges and all the blessings, and yet they didn't make it. And so now where is the hope that he is trying to give to us? And it's in that context that verse 13 becomes very powerful. Verse 13, he says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. I think this is an important beginning point for us that he says that our fight against temptation is simply common to everyone. Now, the point in saying that is not that it would diminish what we are experiencing. The point is not saying, oh, what you're going through is nothing because we all go through this. Not not what he's getting at is not to try to diminish that, but rather that we would know that we are not alone in our struggle. You're not alone. The temptation you face is a temptation that other people face. You are not by yourself in waging this war and dealing with this weakness and being attacked with this temptation. And I think that's important, especially for the people of God, because I think sometimes we can feel like As the people of God, as the church, that here we come together and this is the place where the sin free gather. You know, here we are with shining, smiling faces and we look like our lives are all put together and we have no problems whatsoever. We have no trials. We have no temptations. We are just... Cruising through life and the devil is just over on the side. And, and sometimes church gets portrayed that way as if, you know, we've just got it all put together. And here is here is this Christian who's suffering and dealing with difficulties and being beaten down by temptation. And they look around and everybody else just looks like they're a OK. And here's a verse to say that's not true. <laughs> that what you're experiencing is what everybody's experiencing. It's common to all of us. These temptations are common to all of us, that we all have the same struggles. We all have the same issues. We all have the same fights. We all have the same temptations that everybody in the room shares in that. And, And the reason why I think that is particularly important is because I think hopelessness often comes from feeling alone about those things. To just feel like, well, I'm just by myself and nobody else is going through a temptation like this. Here is this sin, this weakness, this temptation, this problem, and nobody else understands. And I think it's important to see that the Apostle Paul, as he describes the, the pictures of Israel and their failure and the warning, his first step into this is to say, we're all in the same boat here. We are all in the same boat as we are afflicted by temptations every single day, that they are constantly coming after us and that you are not alone in that struggle. And what you are going through in that temptation, you are absolutely not alone. Everyone here in this room has messed up lives. Everybody, everybody here. Where there's no petri- uh, pretending. Pretending. Uh, this is going to be that safe space where we all go. Yep, we're all a bunch of sinners. And yes, we have all kinds of temptations. And yes, we have all kinds of failures. That's part of what we're, we're here. And what we're doing here is trying to gather together to encourage one another so that we can see we're not alone. Uh, the, the point of our gathering here is so not so you feel bad and go, wow, I must be the only one out of a hundred who's going through such hard things. no. You're one of the rest of the hundred who are going through the temptations and the trials of life. You're not alone in that. That's part of why we need to be together. It's part of the encouragement that happens is that we see that in each other that our coming here is in spite of the trials and in spite of the temptations and not a statement that we do not have trials and temptations, but that we need each other as we're going through these trials and temptations. This statement here in verse 13 is so important that there is no temptation that's come upon you except what is common to everyone else. Again, not diminishing, but connecting us together, work together in this. We're together in these difficulties, then that gives us a common bond that we can help one another, encourage one another, so that we can press on in, in this fight. So, that is the first picture of hope that he gives that our fight against temptations is common for all people. Not only that, notice the rest or the middle, I guess, of verse 13, where he says there, But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You have to always love statements where you have God trying to tell you, I'm faithful to you. God is faithful. He's faithful to you in your struggle. And I don't believe that the intention of this when it says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able or tested beyond what you're able, either way, is to say your, your temptations and your trials are easy. I don't think that's the point. And I don't think it's the point to say that we are not beaten down and crushed. By trials and temptations. We've been able to go through some of the Psalms. How many times is the Psalmist saying. Man I've been just beaten down by what I'm going through. Where are you God help me. I'm not going to make it to tomorrow. If you don't do something today. The scriptures are filled. With those kind of pleadings to God. I don't think this is one of those Superman texts. Where you're supposed to say okay I don't feel crushed. Because he said you know that we're not going to feel that way. That's not the idea. But their idea is much more important of what God is trying to tell you about His faithfulness is that there's no temptation that's irresistible and there's no trial that requires failure. There's no temptation that is just dead out irresistible. We just have no control, no choice, no chance, no way. No. God is faithful. There's a way to... Succeed. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And not only that, to point out that there's no trial that has to result in complete failure. It's just, it's just going to be the end. It's not going to, I'm not going to survive it. That that doesn't have to be the case. We are not destined to failure. We do not have to sin. We do not have to give in to temptations. That God is not just casting us to the wolves and saying, well, I just hope you figure it all out. Good luck. Hope it all plays out for you just fine. But rather the picture that God is faithful to us, that God is able to help us through this, that you're not doomed to fail. Now, maybe I'm alone in this, but I'm going to assume I'm not. You ever feel like there's certain sins and certain temptations you're just not going to get better at? It's just been around for so long, and you just go, I'm "Just doomed." And I want us to hear what the Apostle Paul is saying is that that's not true. It doesn't have to be so. That there can be growth, there can be victory, there can be overcoming. God is faithful. It's not going to allow this to be something where it has to always be a loss. Where it has to always be a failure. There is victory that can be achieved. That God has not left us in such a way that we cannot succeed in whatever that temptation or whatever that trial is. And that's where he goes with the rest of verse 13 as he provides this hope of you're not doomed to fail or no temptations irresistible. It doesn't have to be the outcome. Is Notice the rest of verse 13 when he says, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Notice that's what he's, he takes this into is you don't have to fail again. There was a few lessons ago where I did a lesson where I spoke of failure is always an option. (laughs) Failure is always an option. But it doesn't mean that it has to be the option. And that's what's being given here is that you don't have to fail again. Temptation is not irresistible, that there is a way to succeed. And that what he points out is that there is a way to look for a way out, a way of escape. That we don't have to obey our desires. We don't have to cave into those things. We don't have to fall into those temptations. We are able to get through those and overcome them. Uh, A few weeks ago, we were studying the life of David. And when we came to the study of Bathsheba, I made some observations about how many different ways out God had given to David in that sequence. Remember Bathsheba is bathing. David is on his roof. That is all absolutely accidental. Nobody did anything wrong in that moment. But David could have just gone back into his palace and that been the end of the story. There is way out number one. But rather he's looking at Bathsheba and inquires who is that woman? And after the servant says, uh, that's the wife of Uriah, he had way out number two, or he could have gone back inside and left it at that. But no, he sends a messenger to fetch for Bathsheba to come to his palace. And so she comes. There's still a way out. He could have said, you know what? This is a bad idea. Nice to meet you. You need to go back home. But he doesn't. He now commits sexual sin. In these sequences of sin, there is always provided for us opportunities to escape. Sometimes we have the tendency to think of sin as, well, it just happened. Uh, Just, you know, one thing led to another and it just happened and it was just this irresistible force and it just couldn't be stopped. It's not the picture God gives God does not picture our temptations as absolutely irresistible, doomed to failure, you have no chance to succeed, and so you had to cave in. That's what this verse is saying. Is that there are choices that are being made and opportunities to walk away from them, that you don't have to cave into that temptation. And we can use an illustration like David or many other people in scriptures where there are opportunities presented for them to go a different way, to not walk into that temptation. And yet the point to see is they choose to. They choose to. That we are all making a choice when temptation is put before us, that we are. Choosing to go down that road. For whatever the temptation is, we are wanting to make those decisions ultimately. We are choosing to go down that path. And that ultimately, one thing that we need to do is make ourselves accountable. And make ourselves accountable in this way we could have said no and we could have stopped. For whatever the situation is, we could have said no. We could have stopped. That's part of the hope of what's being given here. There's nothing here that's overtaken you. You were not swept out to sea without a say. God is faithful. It's not irresistible. You are making choices in this process. You at any time could throw the anchor down and say, This is it. Stop. No, this isn't right. I'm not going to do this. God is faithful to you. He is providing a choice, a way out. There is an escape route if you want to take it. But do we want to? That's ultimately what's put before us. That God is being faithful to us and giving us these these things. And I think it's important to consider then ultimately that, okay, we failed in the past, but that doesn't mean you have to again. Again. I think that's worth underscoring. I think we live in a time and a culture right now that just says you just don't have a say and you don't have control. And it's a irresistible tractor beam that you are going to forever be addicted or forever be in this vice or forever have this problem. And you're ever forever going to be in these chains. Not to say no. There's a way to stop. There is a way out. There is a way of escape. Nothing is irresistible. God has not put something in your path that you cannot say no to. You can. And you must. And that is the call that's being given here. If we related it to the context, did Israel have a choice? Here is the the context is Israel in the wilderness. And the choices that they made, did they have to do those things? And think about all the ways out that happened. I mean, let's just use the golden calf since that's what is exemplified for us in verse 7 as Moses is up on the mountain. The people say, you know, Moses is gone. What are we going to do? Aaron could say, we're well, just waiting another day. It's going to be all right. There's a way out. The people say, no, no, we need to have an idol. And so they fashion. The calf, you know, could have said, you know what, that's not right. We don't need to do that. Put that back in the fire. It didn't mean that they all had to do as the text says, sat down to eat and drink and play and party and all the sexual sin that was going on at the time. That's the whole point is that the text is trying to show us you have choices in the matter. You're choosing to be where you are at. You are choosing these sins that God is faithful to us and it doesn't have to be that way. And friends, the same faithfulness is also seen In a trial as well. The the word here is very interesting. This there's it's a single word. This Greek word that is translated to the way out or way of escape. It's a word that also refers to successful endurance. And that's why this passage fits so well in talking about trials or temptations. That even in the middle of trials. Look for God's help. Look for God's comfort and look for God's direction. And I would advise and remind that even in our darkest days and in our darkest moments, that God is telling us he's always there for us. And I'd encourage you in those dark days and in those dark moments to take another step with God today because you don't know when the darkness is going to flip to light. And I know in the darkness, here's the thinking. The thinking is, if this goes on and on and on, I can't do this. I can't do years of this. So it's not going to. I understand. All that you need to do is walk with God today. Walk with God today. And you don't know the light might be tomorrow or next week or next month or next. We don't know. But God is saying he's with us. There is successful endurance in the trial. And you just need to stay with him today. Let Tomorrow be tomorrow and next year be next year. And today walk with him. God is faithful. He will be with you in the difficulty Look for his comfort. Take steps with him today and look for his way through the trial. You never know when the light can come in. Now, notice what he does as we wrap this up is in verse 14. He says, so then, my dear friends, flee idolatry. Okay, did he just like break into a whole new area. And we, well, notice it's, it's a, another therefore. And it fits very well with what the Apostle Paul has been talking about and attempting to illustrate in this section. I want you to flee idolatry. Well, notice what does he tell us has been the example. What has been his point with Israel? Go back to verse 6. These things took place as an examples for us. That we will not desire evil things as they did. What did Israel do? When Israel is in the wilderness, ultimately, think about what they are doing. Is what they did was they kept the idols in their heart and even fashioned physical idols, and were even told they brought idols with them out of Egypt, unbelievably, and did not trust the rock. That's the whole picture that's given there. God was with them. God was blessing them. God was caring for them. But rather than trusting in God through that wilderness time, they went to their idols. They went to trusting themselves and they went to committing sins. That was going to be their way out. That was going to be their hope. They desired, the wording of verse 6 is so, so useful, they desired evil. And he says, I don't want you to do that. They didn't trust God. They desired evil. And so if we're going to have hope, During trials and temptations, I think there's a few things we need to do that we are learning from Israel that the Apostle Paul is putting forward. Number one, you got to identify where your idols are at. You have to just identify what they are. What are the areas that we continue to fall over and over and over again? Think about the areas where we have the difficulty, where we have the weakness. And this truly requires us to be honest and say, okay, I fall in these areas a lot. Sexual sin, anger, complaining, just using The context of what we've had here and the context of what we've covered over the last month. Being truthful. Speaking proper words to people. Identify those areas. Identify those idols. Identify the things that we desire to do that are sinful. It can't be ever any success if we just kind of pretend that we just don't have these weak areas and we just kind of keep floating along and going through life and Oh, surprise, we failed again and again and again. There has to be a willingness on our part to say, okay, I know where the problems are. I know that there are these areas in my life where I continually fail. And to be willing to be honest and accept that these are weak points. And truly be willing to do something about that. And I think it's kind of easy for us to leave it right there and say, okay, well, here are these weak areas that I have. Here are these idols. Here are these, these sinning areas, these temptations. But let me put some teeth on it for a minute. Just, just put in your mind the areas where you regularly fail, the temptations that get you a lot. Got them? Okay. Do we really want to stop those sins? I think that's the first place we have to be honest. Do we really want to stop? Or is it more just, ah, I did that again. I feel bad about that, but I'm going to keep doing it. I enjoy it. I like it. I feel right in doing it. It's okay. We have to truly challenge ourselves about identifying these idols and asking ourselves... Do we really want to change? Do we really want to stop? Because notice that's what the Apostle Paul was saying about them. Israel desired evil. They desired these evil things. It was a heart problem. They wanted to do what they did. They wanted the sexual sin. They wanted to complain. They wanted to keep their idols. They wanted to grumble. They wanted to put Christ to the test. That's what they desired. So we really have to take an evaluation and say, well, do I really want to stop or not? Because if we really do, then the next step is what he's been talking about. Then make some preparations to help yourself the next time the temptation comes. You know where those weak points are. I asked you to identify them in your mind. You know where those failure points are. What can you do differently so that that won't happen again? What can you change in your process? What can you change in your life? Does it mean turning off computers or turning off phones or not engaging in certain activities or being certain places or doing certain things or observing certain things or listening to certain things? Whatever it is, what can you change so that you don't have to walk down this road again and again. If we truly do not desire those sins. And don't want those evil things. And don't want to cave into those temptations again. Then what will you change now so that it will be easier to overcome? What are you going to change? <clears throat> I use the insanity illustration a lot. You just keep doing the same old thing. Thinking you're going to get a different outcome. So we need to change. We need to change it up. We need to change the atmosphere, change whatever it is so that it won't happen again. And then prepare for ourselves an alternative solution. What are we going to do in that moment? We know what that moment is. We know what triggers those things. What can we do to do differently? And then finally, I would just put forward for us, we do need to realize that every temptation is a test of faith. Every temptation we face is truly a test of faith because what we are tempted is do we believe in God and believe in his promises and that his ways are better or not? Every temptation ultimately puts that on the table. Do you believe that God's ways to fulfill whatever the desire is, is the right way or Satan's temptation is the right way? That's what's challenged every single time. Remember, James 1 told us that all of our temptations come from the enticement of the heart, right? Okay, so what is Satan doing? Putting a temptation down to the desire of our heart, to fulfill that desire in a sinful way. Every temptation. There's a desire within us. God has a way for it to be filled properly. And Satan says, nah, don't do that. That's not comfortable, convenient, enjoyable, or fun. If you do it his way, Satan's way, then it will be much more fun, much more comfortable, much more convenient, much more enjoyable. And so every temptation is ultimately a test of faith. Do you believe that God's way is ultimately satisfied and ultimately the, the right way to do this or ultimately is it going to be Satan's way? That is the challenge that is put before us. You see that with Israel. Israel thought, no, God's way is not good enough. And that's why they fell. Would we be truly be willing to trust in God? And believe that his ways are right, his ways are are true. But let me state it in, I think, the best way possible God's ways are the only ways that lead to true joy and lasting satisfaction. The temptation from Satan always leads to emptiness, sorrow, guilt, and shame, not lasting joy. And true satisfaction. God's way is always true joy. Lasting satisfaction. Satan you end up with guilt. Shame. Dishonor. All kinds of awful outcomes. So we have to choose. Israel fell in the wilderness. Even though they experienced. The blessings of God. And we will fall as well. On the way to our promised land. If we do not watch out take heed, observe the temptations, be aware of the trials, get the idols out of our hearts and realize that there is hope when we are tempted and tried. Nothing's irresistible. We aren't doomed to failure. That God is with us and will help us through in this fight. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, it just often can feel that temptations seem irresistible and trials seem hopeless. So often as we approach a day that such a flurry of temptations come our way that we often don't even know what to do. And we can feel like we are doomed to failure. And so, Lord, it is our prayer that first that you'd forgive us for our failures, for how often we fail to trust you in our trials and fail to obey you in our temptations. That We don't believe in your promises and we don't believe that your way is better. Forgive us for constantly choosing the wrong path. Forgive us for obeying our desires and our wants and not listening to the better way that you have in store for us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to identify our idols, identify the weak points, and identify our failures. Give us the courage to change the way we are living. Help us to have the courage to turn things off, put things away, stop seeing, listening, or doing whatever it is that puts us in weak moments. That puts us in harm's way. Help us to be strong against the temptations that come at us. Lord, you made a promise to us that with the armor of God, with, with the armor that you would give to us, that we'd be able to stand against the schemes that the devil throws at us. And so give us zeal and courage and desire to put on that armor to draw closer to you so that we would be stronger when trials come and when temptations come. Lord, we pray that you'd give us hope in dark times. It can be so hard when we are beaten down and crushed by the difficulties of life that we sometimes don't feel like you're with us. And so, Lord, please please give us that comfort and give us the courage to walk with you today and the courage to trust you that you'll take care of tomorrow. Help us to walk faithfully with you, even in the darkness, even in the difficulty. Help us to always know you're there no matter what. And Lord, give us the the eyes to see where our hope should be. Help us to look toward eternity. Help us to not look for hope in this life, but help us to see you and just you and the joy that is set before us as we walk faithfully with you. This we pray through your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen.